The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And good morning, Downtown Church. I am Sir Gregory Thornton, the youth pastor here, and I am super excited, um, anxious to be able to um, um, preach to you um, God's word this morning. Um, But before hopping into this morning's scripture, Will you just um, take a moment and pray with me um, real quick? Dear Heavenly Father, we truly uh, worship you for who you are. You are the one true God, Lord. You and you alone are to be exalted. Um, Lord, you and you alone um, are, are, are deserving of our praise, of our life, of our time, Lord. And we come to you right now um, to say thank you, to acknowledge our need for you, um, Lord, to acknowledge, Lord, that we are broken people in need of, of some restoration and in need of some saving and need of some help. Lord, not just pray for your word right now. I pray, Lord, that your word does its job. Lord, speak through me um, through a, in a powerful way. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Um, amen. Um, and before I preach, I just, I just want to say I'm in here alone. Um, everybody just left. The band just left, but I need some help. So even though you at home, I need you to amen and to just um, encourage me along the way. Amen? Amen. Um, and no matter who you are, no matter who is listening to me um, right now, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account or the amount of melanin or lack of melanin you have in your skin Everyone, we all are suffering from a deadly disease. This deadly disease has gripped all of our hearts. And what's so dangerous about this disease is that all of us are carriers of it, and many of us aren't even aware. And some of us who are aware of this disease, we have learned how to manage and control this disease. We don't feel so bad about our symptoms because our outward symptoms aren't as bad as our neighbors. And you may be wondering right now what, what's this deadly disease I'm talking about. The name of this disease is DOP, the disease of pride. Pride has gripped all of our hearts and is leading us down a path of destruction. And to just quote again, um, um, the quote that Pastor Reeves said last week from C.S. Lewis, this is what C.S. Lewis said about pride. Pride is the utmost evil. Obtacity, anger, lust are, are, are mere flea bites in comparison. For it was through pride that the devil became the devil. And pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God. So this morning, when we look at God's word, I just want us to all take a deeper lip, a to dive deeper to attempt to just get to the roots of pride to really see why it's so dangerous and to look at God's word to find the cure for this deadly um, disease. And um, Pastor um, Davis and Pastor Reeves asked me to preach three three chapters um i felt like that was a little bit beyond my capacity but i'm gonna give it a go um but for the sake of time i'm not gonna read to you three chapters i'm gonna read chapter 22 verses 1 through 14 and it should be on your screen so you can follow and it reads as such the oracle concerning the valley of vision 
What do you mean that you have gone up, all of you, to the housetops? You who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exulting town. Your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together without the bow they were captured. All of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. Therefore, I, I said, look away from me. Let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision. A battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains. And Elam bore the quiver and chariots and, and horsemen and Kerr uncovered the shield. The choicest valleys were, were full of chariots and the horsemen took their stand at the gates. He has taken away the covering of Judah. In that day, you... Look to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the walls. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. You did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. In that day, the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning for baldness and wearing sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep. For you said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be to God. Um, I like to title this message, Pride, the Silent Killer. Pride, the Silent Killer. And I just want to hop right in into my first takeaway this morning. My first takeaway is simply that the Lord is actively fighting against pride. That the Lord is opposed and he is actively fighting against pride, against prideful people. And, 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 and as we move on, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page about what pride is. And this is what pride is. Pride. Pride. It's when humans aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. Pride is when humans aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge that we need you, God. Pride is ignoring the fact that God is the one who created this entire world, that that God is the one who created us, male and female, in his image. That God is the one who breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. And instead of acknowledging God and, and his presence and realizing our, our other dependence upon him, pride causes us in our hearts and mind to say we are okay. Charles Bridges says this about pride. Charles Bridges says that pride lifts up our heart against God. That pride fights for supremacy with God. And what that means is that pride not only says, God, I don't need you. God, I'm OK. But pride says, God, I can do a better job at being God than you can. 
Pride causes us to live a life that says, God, I really don't need you. And not only do I not need you, but I can do a better job at leading and controlling and guiding my life. I am a better God than, than you are. And is this not the first sin of the universe? Uh, you may think that, that the first sin of the world was Adam and Eve eating some fruit in the garden, disobeying God. No, the first sin happened way before that when when Satan, the devil, was a beautiful angel in heaven. In some way, somehow, this devil looked at God's throne and said, that seat should be mine. That Satan looked around all of heaven, so all of these wonderful, beautiful, majestic, heavenly creatures worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. And Satan said, they should be doing that to me. Pride. And, and before we look at um, chapters 21, I want us to first take a look back at what Isaiah says about pride in chapter 2, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord alone is the one who is to be exalted by, by all of creation. But the problem with pride is that pride is this quiet thief that robs the glory, the praise, and honor that is to be credited to God, and it looks to assign it to someone else. Pride is, is, is this quiet thief that, that, that steals the glory, the honor, the praise that is to be due to God, and we take it for ourselves. In the and what's really so jacked up about pride is that pride actually prevents us from experiencing the greatness and the goodness of God. Because think about it. Pride prevents us from seeing how the Lord is the God who actually listens to us, who actually answers our prayers because God because pride prevents us from seeing our need in the first place. Pride prevents us from running to the Lord in the first place. Pride prevents us from worshiping God and being in awe of him because pride makes us think that we are better than we are. Pride makes us think that our hard work, our, our intellect is what has put the money in our bank account and the food on our table. Instead of seeing how it is the Lord working behind the scenes of our lives, actually been the one who has given us everything that we have. Pride prevents us from seeing the goodness of God. And as we have been reading through Isaiah, we continue to see the people of this world um, uh, fighting for supremacy with God. But here is God telling us this morning, and uh, we're about to get into it right now. Here is God telling us this morning that I and I alone am God. Whether you believe in me or not, I am the creator of the world. I am the one who is gracious enough to give you your next breath. I and I alone will be exalted. Everyone else will be humble. So now, as we look at um, chapter 21, we first look at the people of Babylon. And God gives a vision to Isaiah about the, the people of Babylon and what God is about to do to, um, to this nation. And it's interesting because as this is currently being written, Babylon is currently seeking to oppress Israel. This is 
the nation of God's people. This is where Isaiah is from. And, and Isaiah has been longing for the day that Babylon is, is no more. But when, but when God gives Isaiah this vision, let me get a little water, I'm getting a little part. When God gives Isaiah this vision of what um, he is about to do to Babylon, Isaiah said, this is so bad, like it turned my hope into horror. Isaiah said, what I see the Lord about to do to Babylon, the destruction he is about to bring, I wouldn't even um, wish on my worst enemy. So what is so bad about what um, Babylon has done? And we see it in Isaiah chapter 14. It says that Babylon said in their heart, we will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God, that we will set my throne on high, that that um, we will ascend above the heights of the clouds, that, that we will make ourselves like the most high. See, Babylon was the big boys in the world. They were running on the show, and because of their power, they thought to themselves that we are higher and stronger than the most high God, um, that, that we can actually take God's place. In verse 9 of chapter 21, God simply says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. In all of their carved images, fallen, fallen is Babylon because of their pride. Fallen, fallen is Babylon because they think they are greater than me. God is actively fighting against pride. And now as we look at chapter 22, um, chapter 22 um, refers to God's people, the, the people in Jerusalem. And it's, and it's important to know that Jerusalem is the city on top of a hill that that to travel to Jerusalem, you had to climb this mountain. It was referred to as Mount Zion. But Jerusalem, this city on, on the hill that was to be the light of the world, Isaiah refers to the city as the Valley of Vision. Um, and it's ironic that he says that this city on top of a hill is actually the Valley of Vision. Um, um, Isaiah, I mean, um, Jerusalem was to be the light to the world, um, but now um, because of their pride, they are spiritually blind. This, this great people, this great nation has lost their way because of, of their pride. And Jerusalem pride doesn't look anything like Babylon because Babylon is the big man on campus thinking that, that no one um, can mess with him, but, but on the outside looking in, Jerusalem looks like they have done nothing wrong, but we see their sin in verse 8. It says, in that day, when you were confronted by your enemies, in that day, you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir, um, between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it. You did not look to the Lord who is your keeping God. See, remember, pride isn't walking around just beating on your chest or, or simply looking down on people. Pride is failing to remember and acknowledge your dependency upon God. Pride is saying, no, thank you, God, I got this. And this is exactly what Israel is, is guilty of. They saw that their enemies were, were uh, approaching, so they picked up their weapons. 
They saw that they had holes in their walls, so they worked to uh, fix them. They saw that they needed water, so they stored up water. On the outside looking in, they did everything right, but God said, you did everything but look to me. God is saying, I am the one who has been keeping you. Have you not, have you forgotten that I'm the one who actually brought you out of Egypt? I'm the one who parted the Red Sea. I'm the one who has, who, who, who brought you into the land that you're staying in now, me. And now you are at a point in your life where you think you no longer need me. You got this. This is pride. Are you guilty of this right now? Is, is this the story of your life? I know many of us say, yes, God, I need you, but I only need you to get me into heaven on that day. But down here, I got this covered. I got my retirement plan. I got my budget. I got my kids college fund. I got this down here set. I just need you up there. Is this is this you right now? Because this this is the problem that exists in the in the American dream. See, see, the American dream tells us all from a young age to work hard, to go to school, to get an, an, an education, to dream big, to work, to achieve our dreams. And when we do, we stand back and we pat ourselves on the back. But what begins to happen and what's the problem with the American dream is that it causes us to think and believe that we can handle everything on our own. And even though on Sunday we can walk into the church and we can sing songs that we can confess with our mouth, God, I need you. Monday through Saturday, we say with our lives, God, we got this. This is the essence of pride. I I'm guilty of it, too. We all have been gripped by this disease that has creeped, that has creeped quietly into our heart that makes us not see our need for God. See, God is bringing destruction, judgment, and wrath upon the nations, the people of the world, because of their pride. But I want us to also see this, that the Lord has a purpose for your pain. The Lord has a purpose for your discipline. And this leads me to my second takeaway this morning, um, and that simply is the Lord has a purpose for our pain. Um, it's important to know that God isn't looking to bring destruction and punishment and pain just because he wants to flex his power. Um, God, God's judgment has a purpose, and, and this purpose is to discipline those that he loves. Um, how else can I say this? Um, God's judgment of fire is not a fire that, that is set out to destroy everything in its path. But God's judgment of fire is a fire that looks to refine and purify to strip away and, and destroy the things in our lives that, that should not be there. And the Lord is bringing trials to an unrepentant people, not because he is angry, but because he is, in fact, full of love, grace, and mercy. And instead of seeing them totally destroyed, the Lord is out to take away the things out of their lives that is actually destroying their lives, that is actually stripping away the joy and the peace that God is desiring for his people. I can't help but think about um, what James says in chapter one. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance run its full course so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a purpose for your pain. And even in our sin, even in our pride, which God is opposed to, God isn't out to simply beat us down to the ground 
but he chooses to discipline us even if it means losing the very thing that we have to um, hold on to most. Um, I don't know about you, but my parents, they, they were some old school parents. Um, and when I got punished, um, punishment wasn't time out. Punishment wasn't go stand in the corner. When I got parents, my parents were old school. My mom would um, get their belt out or my dad would get their belt out. And I remember one time in particular, my mom got the belt out and she was getting ready to, you know, whoop me on my backside. Um, she said, this, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I remember thinking, um, if that's the case, you ain't got to hurt either one of us. Just put the belt down and we can talk this out, right? But my mom was saying, I don't enjoy punishing you. I don't enjoy disciplining you. This isn't causing me pleasure, but this is causing me pain. But because I love you and because I see that your actions are leading you down the wrong path, I must discipline you. My mom didn't discipline me. Because she didn't love me, but she she did because she did. And this is the same thing that God does for his people and the people of the world. God is out to for his glory, but God is also out for our hearts. God does not want to see us lift ourselves up because he knows this is the path to destruction, but he is out to give us true, true life. And I truly believe that this corona on 19 or 20 or whatever it is, um, in, in, in a lot of ways has, has slowed us all down. And I believe that this is the perfect time for us as a church and the world all together to cry out to the Lord, to humble ourselves, to ask for forgiveness, to confess our sins, to confess our pride, to confess our lack of dependency upon the Lord, to confess the fact that even as Christians, even as children of God, we don't fear the Lord as we should. We care more about ourselves than we do others. We care more about ourselves than we do God's word. This is the perfect time for us to slow down and stop. And this leads me to my last takeaway this morning. And that simply is the pathway to the Lord is through humility. The pathway to the Lord is through Humility. And if pride is expiring to be like God and to have independence from God, humility is actively looking in the mirror, assessing our shortcomings and realizing our dependence upon God. Humility is actively looking in the mirror, seeing our shortcomings, seeing our 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 areas of mistakes, seeing our mistakes and realizing we do need help. Pride says, I, I don't need help. Pride says, I didn't do anything wrong. Pride says, even though you told me I hurt your feelings, I didn't hurt your feelings. Pride says, I'm, I'm good because I'm not like those people. Where humility is taking a look in the mirror and saying, I was wrong. I didn't mean it like that, but I was wrong. I, I do need help. I, I do have an, 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 an anger problem. I do have lustful eyes that I can't seem to control. I need help. That is humility, actively looking in the mirror, assessing our shortcomings and realizing our dependence upon God. And humility is the pathway to the Lord because humility leads us to repentance. And repentance is the direct bridge to God. But before I keep going, it's important for me to say that um, confessing 
confession alone isn't a repentance. Confession is the first step in repentance. Um, we must, but we must not only confess, but we must now actively work to fight against our pride to turn around from our sin. Um, it's not enough for for someone to say, "Oh, I messed up. Forgive me," but but let me keep doing what I've been doing. It's not enough for an alcoholic to say, "I need help." Um, but I'm not willing to throw away the alcohol out of my house. True, rep true repentance is confessing your sin to God and by the grace of God receiving the forgiveness of your sin and by the grace of God turning away in, in the right direction. We need humility to first repent. And why do we need to find this humility so, so desperately? Because we all are suffering from this disease of pride. And God tells us straight up in his word that the Lord opposes the, pr the proud and the reward for pride is actually death. Look at verse um, chapter 22, verse 14. It says, this iniquity, their iniquity of pride will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord. Death is the consequences for our sin and our pride and and this reminds me of Romans 6, 23, which says the wages of sin is death. For the punishment for our sin is death. Um, and I need us to get this this morning. I don't want to just rush past this. We need to see that because we all have sinned against a perfect, holy, mighty God, what we have earned by the actions of our lives is to spend, is to die and spend eternity separated from God for all of eternity. But oh my, if you have been on um, walking through this series of Isaiah all all with us for the past couple of months, you already know the good news. And the good news is that God the Father has already promised his people that there is a Savior that, that he is sending that will save and deliver his people. That God has already promised that, that there is a Savior and his name is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And, and, this is, and this Emmanuel is coming down low to save you and deliver you. And even though the punishment for our sin is death, Romans 6.23 reminds us again that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Meaning that even though what I have worked for and what I have earned because of my life, the life that I have lived is death, but by the grace of God, oh my, somebody say grace of God, by the grace of God, we can lay aside our pride and humbly come bowing down at the foot of the cross. And that's where we find the cure to this deadly disease. That's where we find the answer to the majority of our problems. By humbly submitting at the foot of the cross. And I want us to see that there is no greater display of humility than the cross. That Jesus, the son of the most high God, did not count equality with God something to grasp. But he took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There is no greater display of humility than Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father, coming down low, being taken on flesh, being Becoming a man, but not just a king, but a servant. He humbled himself. He, he emptied himself, even becoming obedient to the point of death that he would die on a cross. 
And it is here at the cross, at the foot of the cross. Can we find that amazing grace that can save a wretched, jacked up sinner like me? It's here at the foot of the cross that we find the freedom from the guilt and the shame of our failures and our past sin. It's only by what Jesus has done on the cross do I have the confidence to admit when I'm wrong. To not fight to be right or even fight to defend myself. It's at the foot of the cross. Can I boldly admit that I don't get that I don't have it all together? That it's at the foot of the cross. And am I able to stand before you right now and say that I'm not the man, the husband or the father that I always dreamed to be? But it's at the foot of the cross do I find the arm of a loving father. It's at the foot of the cross do I find the love and salvation that I have been longing for. For so long, it's at the foot of a cross do I find that man by the name Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. And even though we are full of pride and God opposes the proud through humility, do we have the key to um, the key to witnessing and experiencing God's presence and grace? Um, I'm going to close with the story and the band can can get ready to come back up as I close. Even though we are full of pride and God is actively against our, our, our pride, through humility do we find the blessing of God. Um, I have an eight-month-old eight month, um, daughter by the name of Karis, and she has been uh, the best blessing to me and my wife, Jay. She it's the sweetest little thing. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you're missing out because you're missing her beautiful smile um, every day. And, and she has taught me so much about what humility looks like in action. Um, every morning, without fail, she wakes up alone in her room, in her crib. And she tries to uh, um, climb out her crib because her crib isn't where she wants to be. And she pulls herself up and tries to climb out, but she quickly falls and she quickly realizes that she needs help if she ever wants to get out of this crib. So she begins to cry. She begins to whine. She begins to whimper. And usually me and my wife still sleep. And we, you know, I be trying to fake sleep so my wife can beat me to it. So I don't got to get up. Um, but usually... My wife, um, you know, makes me get up because she does night duty, all that stuff. And I have the privilege of being the one to wake, to walk in that room, open up that door, turn on the light. And every time I do, her face just lights up. Um, she gives me the biggest smile. It's like she, she almost starts jumping up and down like daddy is here to save me. And when I approach her crib to pick up, she just raises up. She just lifts up her arm so I can pick her up. And I always pick her up and she always just does this little cute little giggle. And it's as if she's saying, Daddy in your arms is right where I want to be. And this is the blessing of humility. The blessing of humility is that when we confess our needs, when we confess that we don't have it all together, we have a loving father who is ready to reach down low and pick us up. We have a loving father who is waiting and ready to heal what has been broken in our hearts to fix and restore what has been lost. That is the blessing of, of humility. And I'm here to tell you, no matter how tired I am, no matter how grumpy I am, every time I pick her up and she smiles and she giggles, that does something to my heart. That is, that is, my, that is better than coffee in the morning. And I'm here to tell you that God feels 
the same way when his children come to him saying, Daddy, God, we need you. I'm tired of running on my own. I'm tired of living on my own. I'm trying. I'm tired of trying to make it on my own. Daddy, God, I need you. Downtown church, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Downtown church, may we be a people, a church, children of God, like my baby girl who wakes up every morning and say, Daddy, I need you. Let's pray. Father God, that's our prayer. Lord, we need you. I pray, Lord, that we be a humble people. Lord, that you search our hearts. Lord, that you test us, Lord. Show us our faults. Show us our errors. Show us our pride that we may truly not just confess our sin, but we may truly do the work to repent. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, I do pray. Amen. Um, brothers and sisters, I hope you was blessed by that word. Um, and we will continue in worship through the giving of our tithes and offering um, to our great God and great King. Um, if you don't know how, how to give, just text downtown church. Text downtown church to 73256 to give online. Um, be blessed. And amen.